Well, welcome to Bible 45, Work Matters. This is lesson two, and really part two, as we continue on from last week, Work, God's Glorious Calling. Just want to recap a little bit of what we talked about last Sunday. We started out teaching on work and really posited this simple and I think just profound thought. It's this, God is a worker. He's a worker and thus we're workers as those who image God. We are called to image God in his work. I don't know, I hope that sunk in a little this week and maybe even informed how you did your work this past week. We were made and we were redeemed to do good works. As you recall from last week, work was a part of paradise. Not a result of a fall. In other words, work is not a curse. It might feel like it at times. And certainly, we'll get into that more next week. The difficulties and challenges of work with the fall. But work is good. And that really, that really helped me even yesterday. I, uh, I was just thinking about this idea of work, work being good, and God created us for work. And Well, I love participating in the secret church simulcast. You know, Cassie was there on Friday night, which went into the wee hours of Saturday morning. I loved it, but I also loved my sleep and my rest. And I knew that the following day, there was a lot of work to be done. Not the least of which was working on this lesson. You know, I, I can really say it helped me to know that God was at work, even as I worked yesterday. That he was indeed empowering me to do the work for which he created me to do and redeem me. It wasn't just really head knowledge. It wasn't yesterday. There, there was a faith that was imparted and it, it was life-giving. And I just desire that for myself to experience on a daily basis. My desire is for you and everyone listening to experience that on a daily basis as well. Because friends, we have work to do and it's wonderful work. It's not easy. It's often tiring, sometimes just tedious in its repetition, but it's work in which we can do in a way that God is honored, but also people are served and people thrive. That's a lofty thought. We're going to unpack that a little more this morning as we get into it. But first, let me pray. Well, Lord, I know each one of us here, we, we desire to see you at work. It's one thing to know that you are a worker. But Lord, there's a longing in the human soul to know that God, you're working in our midst. You're working in us, that you're working through us. And it is your grace when you allow us to see and to experience the reality of you at work through us. It encourages our faith as we see you at work, as we know your empowerment as we see even some of the fruits of our worship and our work. So Lord, help us to see, help us to experience that which we speak of this morning, that work truly is glorious, that we were made for work to image you in it. Amen. I want to put this thought out here this morning. In our work, we, were, we are called to create and to care for God's creation in such a way that he is glorified. Two words, create and care. Let's spend a lot of time on the care piece. The create, it's probably a lesson in itself. I'm going to give you a little taste of it this morning. 
Um, and if we have time in latter lessons, I want to really unpack this imaging God through creating. So I'm going to start there, but I'm going to move on to this care piece that I think relates to each and every one of us. But first of all, we are called to image God as creators. As we spoke of last week, we don't create out of nothing, right? We don't create as God does, ex nihilo, but we take that which God has created and we form and we create. What do we create? We create beauty. I think for those who are in jobs in which they create, particularly artists, musicians, painters, writers, Cassie, architects, it's a little easier to see how you can image God through your creativity. Just cultivating beauty, aesthetic beauty, whatever it is, in your work. But we also create, and in the way, skill. And I'm really tapping into this idea of technology and development. I think for those who program software or build machinery, it's not a stretch to see how technological savvy and developments can lead to breakthroughs, in, which can enhance human productivity and fruitfulness. There's other ways we can create in our jobs as well, our vocations. We can create order for those who are in politics, economics, governance, law enforcement. If you're in those fields, it's a little easier to see how one's work, well done, can contribute to order, to what we may call, and many authors call, human flourishing. So we're called in our work to create. That so begs the question, how about those maybe who aren't in those types of fields? You know, how about those who work at Taco Bell? Well, first of all, if you work at Taco Bell, you're my hero, okay? Because you're serving me big time. But um, yeah, how about those who your jobs to babysit, to change dirty diapers? How about those who, you know, here in South Florida, sell roses on the corner of the street? Or those who repair shoes for a living? How about them? How can they image God in their work? How about you? See, the reality is this, as I thought about it. You know, most of us in our jobs probably aren't what might be called culture creatives. You know, it, it's kind of hard in a lot of our work just to see how we're somehow, how we're transforming, how we're engaging and influencing their culture through our work. At least maybe we're doing it, but it's a little harder for a lot of us to make that connection in our mind. When all we seem to be doing is serving that never satisfied boss or filing and shredding mounds of paper or when we're cleaning bathrooms or cutting grass, or waiting upon you know, totally unreasonable and disgruntled customers. I, mean, I was just at Apple the other day, and I, I like Apple products, but I was, just, I was at the Apple Genius Bar, and the guy next to me, he was just livid. And there's expectations that come with an Apple product, and it wasn't working properly, and the guy at the other end of the bar was just getting a mouthful. I thought, wow, can I do this eight hours a day? take disgruntled. I mean, they're coming in because something's broken, and they're not happy because they paid a lot of money for it. And he did a great job handling this customer, but I thought, wow, there's a lot of us in the church who work in retail or sales, and that's what they're dealing with. Wow, how am I transforming culture <laughs> in that type of job? It's a good question, and I want to probe that more this morning. Because, you know, as Christians... I think, you know, us here, we know that, we know we have jobs. We understand from Scripture that we can honor God in our work when we do it with a good attitude, right? When we work hard and faithful. Honest work, good attitude. We know that God sometimes gives us opportunities at our work to share our faith with coworkers or customers. 
We also know that we can use the money earned, our income, our profits from our business, to support the church and worthy causes. And we can kind of see how we're serving God in that way. And that's true, and that's good, and that's right. But how about the work you're doing itself? Does the work you're actually doing, is it really valued in God's eyes? If you're not creating, if you're not transforming culture, so to speak. You see, work that has value is not, that, is not only that which creates, but that which also cares for God's creation. So, see, we image God by creating, but we also image God by providing. Providing services, providing products as well. God is a creator, but he's also one who provides and sustains for us. So we can image God in our work by providing, or the word I'm using here is caring for other people and caring indeed for God's creation. In other words, we're not just partners in God's creative work, but we're also called to be partners in God's, here's a big word, providence. We're partners in God's providence as his stewards and servants. And I think if we understand this point right here, we will see the dignity and worth of nearly every job. If we understand this point, that we're partners in God's providence, quote-unquote, the playing field has been leveled or significantly broadened to include each and every one of us, no matter what our job may be. So we need to talk about that. What is providence? We often use it, I often use it as a word referring to God's sovereign control of our life. But providence refers not just to God's control, but providence relates to God's care that he exercises over everything that exists. Okay? Providence is God's not only control, but his care, which he exercises over everything that exists. Providence comes from the word provide. You can kind of see that, right? Providence provide. How does God the Creator provide and care for his creation? How does he do that? You ready? God provides for his creation through you. Yes, and through your job as well. That's another way of putting, of saying, God uses means. And that the means he uses is you and it's me. To quote Martin Luther, who had a lot to say on this topic, we are fingers of God, his providential love. Let's turn to Romans 13. Read your Bible. Romans 13 one through six. And I want to just delve into this topic of God's providence, the operation of God's providence in our lives and in our society as well. I think this passage in Romans is going to help us do that and really provide a springboard for this conversation on providence and care that we in turn exercise and image God through in our work. So Romans 13, I'll give you a moment here. We're going to read verses one through six. Here we go. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist, catch this, have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a tear to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant 
of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in sub- subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Do you see that there? It's clear that God uses means. God uses people. God uses authorities in our lives. In the case of Romans here, to punish evil, to carry out justice, to bring order to society. Do those authorities need to be Christian to do that? They don't, do they? But does God only use governing authorities to do his will and care for his people? No, I don't think so. Look at verse 1, the latter half of 1 there. What he's basically saying is this. All authorities have been instituted by God. All authorities, right? For no authority except from God. For there is no authority except from God. In other words, every authority, every authority has been instituted by God. And this broad statement certainly includes governing authorities, But I don't think it's limited just to governing authorities. All authorities, political and non-political, judicial and non-judicial, are servants, to borrow the words here from Romans, or servants of God. So what's the point? God uses means, including our vocations, our jobs, our delegated authority, to carry out his purpose and care. God is actively caring for all people even non-believers and children through the work you have been called to do by God. I believe that includes the work which you're currently in. You see, that's God's common grace, isn't it? How he's providing for his creation. Even those who don't acknowledge him as such, he is providing, he is caring for, he is sustaining. How? Through the work that we do each and every day in a multitude of ways. Maybe you hear that and say, well, objection. I don't have any authority in my job. <laughs> None whatsoever. Or I don't, have any, I don't even have any responsibility for anyone else in my job. It's just me, okay? Even if that's the case, I believe the pattern here still holds. God uses people in their jobs, in their work, to provide and care for others according to his purposes and plan. And as I mentioned earlier, this is really a point that Martin Luther just drills home in some of his writings on vocation. I want to, get, I want to give a lengthy, worthy quote here from Gene Veith in his opening of his book called God at Work, Your Christian Vocation All of Life. It's lengthy, but I think you'll enjoy it. It kind of derives this point home, flushes it out for us, for us to see. Here it is. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, observe Luther, We ask God to give us this day our daily bread. And he does give us our daily bread. He does it by means of the farmer who planted and harvested the grain, the baker who made the flour into bread, the person who prepared our meal. We might add today the truck drivers who hauled the produce, the factory workers in the food processing plant, the warehouse men, the wholesale distributors, the stock boys, the lady at the checkout counter. Also playing their part are the bankers, future investors, futures investors, advertisers, lawyers, 
agricultural scientists, mechanical engineers, and every other player in the nation's economic system. All of these were instrumental in enabling you to eat your morning bagel. We probably didn't think of that, did we? (laughs) When we had our cereal, or bagel, or egg this morning, or a cup of coffee for that matter. Going on. It is still God who is responsible for giving us our daily bread, or bagel. Though he could give it to us directly, right? He could. He could just rain down bagels, right? Manna bagels, right? Like he did in the wilderness, right? To quote, to quote what is it, Keith Green? Manna bagels. Okay, sorry. Old song. Um, as he once did for the children of Israel when he fed them daily manna. He could have done it that way, right? He could have. Raining food from heaven. Fillets from heaven, you know? But God has chosen to work through human beings who in their different capacities and according to the different talents, serve each other. When we or a loved one gets sick, well, as Christians, we typically, right, we pray for healing, right? Well, certainly God can, and sometimes he does, grant healing through a miracle. But normally he grants healing through the vocations of doctors, nurses, pharmacists, lab technicians, and the like. It is still God who heals us, but he works through the means of skilled, talented, divinely equipped human beings. When God blesses us, he almost always does it through other people. He lets us travel through the ministry of auto workers, mechanics. I'm so grateful, you know. Hop into my car today just to get here, you know. Turn on the lights, electricity, it worked, you know. Got this iPhone here, I don't know. I don't understand this thing works, but it's recording this, so we can then put it on this thing called the internet. How does that work? So other people can hear it. Wow. Okay, going on. He keeps us clean through the work of garbage collectors, plumbers, sanitation workers, and the sometimes undocumented aliens who clean our hotel rooms. He brings people to salvation through pastors and through anyone else who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost. The fast food worker, the inventor, the clerical assistant, the scientist, the accountant, the musician, they all have high callings used by God to bless and to serve his people and and his creation. Of course, as we've already discussed, God didn't have to work that way or to make things work that way. He could have done it directly all by himself. Or to quote Luther directly, God could have easily given you grain and fruit without your plowing and planting, but he does not want to do so. You know, as a parent, Cindy and I, we want to meet our children's needs. We want to give them everything that they need. But we also want them to learn responsibility, you know, hard work and faithfulness. I remember when they were young, we started giving them chores early, like washing their own clothes and putting with the dishes. I mean, they needed a stepladder, I remember, to get onto the counter. So they'd be on, sitting on the counter on their knees trying to reach the upper cabinets. And the same with the washing machine as well in the garage. Why do we do that? Could they do it with excellence? Well, not really. They were prone to break plates. Sometimes you had to go in after them and clean up. All right? But we did it and had them do that at a young age because we wanted them to mature and to grow. You know, God does that with us as well. He gives us jobs to do. 
No one's doing them perfectly. Actually, we do them very imperfectly. But he chooses to use us and in doing so grow us and mature us. Listen to Luther again here. What else is all our work to God, whether in the fields, in the garden, in the city, in the house, in war, or in government, but just such a child's performance? That's what our work really is, a child's performance. On our knees, straining to put that plate in the upper cabinets of the kitchen, by which he wants to give his gifts. These are the mass of God behind which he wants to remain concealed and to do all things. So God is using us to provide and to care for his creation. He's using children, even our childlike performance. It's God that's doing it. He's masked. We can't always see him. He's veiled. But he is providing through you and through your job. You see that? For his glory, but also for our sake as well. So what's so liberating about this, friends? What is so encouraging about this biblical understanding of work? Just put three, three answers. There, there are definitely more just to help with our thinking here this morning. Number one, nearly all types of work have dignity and worth, no matter what the pay scale. If we truly understand this and believe it, this perspective frees us from any condescending attitude you know, towards the less sophisticated work or envy for the more exalted work. This understanding also frees us from the spiritual, secular divide, which we addressed a little bit last week, and in which really Martin Luther doggedly attacked during his day. God calls every Christian equally to their work. Church work isn't the only thing that qualifies as God's work. I hope you see that now. We, that is the Christians in particular, the new covenants are kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood, right? First Peter 2, 9. We're called to mediate God's presence and represent God to a larger world. That includes being his hands, his feet, and provision. Let's do this quote here. I don't know if it's from Luther. I'm not sure where this quote came from. It's in the notes, but it's good. The priesthood of all believers did not make everyone into church workers. Rather, it turned every kind of work into a sacred calling. Catch that? Every kind of work. God desires, number two, to work in and through you. Yes, and your work. He wants to work through you, not just when you're at a Sunday service or Bible 45, you're participating in a community group on a Wednesday or Thursday night, not just when you're evangelizing your neighbors or giving an offering. I hope you're doing all those things, right? We've been, I think, well taught there. But he's also working through you in your very job. Listen again to, to uh, Edward Veith here. It's Edward? Gene. Yeah, Veith. God fed me, not with manna, but with what the teenager working at the fast food joint gave me. God clothed me and sheltered me with the help of my employer. God protected me, though I wish the highway patrolman hadn't pulled me over. <laughs> God gave me pleasure thanks to the talents he gave that musician playing on my new CD, or we'll say MP3, whatever it may be. How we long to see God at work in our lives. We love to see God do the supernatural, to, to know God, that God is present in our lives, not just up there somewhere, but that God is at work 
down here, where we live, in the everyday, not just Sundays, but Monday through Friday, and Saturdays too. Don't we have that desire? We do. Church, he's there, and he's working. Where we live and labor, where we spend most of our hours and our days. Luther called, as I mentioned earlier, our vocation, our work, as a mask of God. God hides himself in the workplace, including secular society. He's there. And I think a robust biblical view of work unmasks God, kind of unveils God, so to speak, so we can see that he truly is at work in the very places where we live and dwell. Number three, you can fulfill the two greatest commandments. You can. And you can do it through your very work. Okay, the two greatest commandments, which will really serve as the summary of the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. This is, a, this is an amazing point to think about. Um, Mark, Mark 12, turn there, would you? Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. Found elsewhere in the Gospels, too, in Matthew 22, I believe. But we're going to go to the Mark 12 version here. Mark 12, verses 30 and 31. Which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. You know, I, maybe you're like me, but I think I've, I've seen and known that I can serve God through my work. And I can even love him through my work. If you recall Colossians 3.23, let me just read the words to you there. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. I think a lot of us get that. But what, I've, what I missed early on, I think in my life, especially in those summer jobs that I had <laughs> when I was younger, was these jobs were also a means by which I could not only serve God, but also serve and love my neighbor as well, thus fulfilling this command. Even my jackhammering on those hot summer days when I go in and tear up someone's driveway to put in a new driveway. That may be hard to believe at times. It was hard for me too. I remember one time I pulled up to a neighbor's house I had this old jalopy truck with a huge glue beam, which is used for house, housing constructions. It's probably 12 feet long, massive. Pulled up into our neighbors, parked on the side on their street. I couldn't park in their driveway. We we're going to tear that up. So I parked on the street on a hill. And well, I forgot that I had really poor brakes. And I started sliding down the hill. And guess what was behind me? My customer's brand new minivan. And that glue beam, which was hanging out of the back of my truck, pierced, went right through the front of the minivan. I still recall having to knock on the door that morning and tell the customer that I had just crushed his brand new minivan. And he shut the door in his suit and briefcase. He was about to leave to hop into the minivan to go to work. That, sir, we're here to do your driveway, and I just inadvertently crushed your new minivan. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Hard to see how I was living my neighbor at that point, okay? Sometimes it is a stretch. But all that aside, the work that we're there to do was meant to love my neighbor. But we also live in a fallen world, don't we? And we're fallen and imperfect creatures. But that's next week. We're going to talk more about that. 
But I think this idea of loving neighbors in our job is really which is what struck me. Just as again, as I prepared this material, when I first heard this teaching, it just, it just it revolutionized how I saw work. Just the work of the great reformers like Mark, Martin Luther in this area of loving neighbor through your work, providing, caring for my neighbor through work, expanded my understanding of what it means to love neighbor. It's easy to feel guilty, isn't it? When it comes to neighbors. <laughs> now, you know, I'm not doing enough when it comes to my neighbors. And I don't want a blunt conviction here. There's a sense that we ought to be reaching out with the gospel. We ought to be verbalizing what we believe. And I want to improve that area. So I, I, don't, I don't want to minimize that. By all means, yes, share the gospel with your neighbors. But what if you don't or you can't? Is what you're doing all day, your work, a loss in God's eyes? I don't believe it is. See, this teaching today brings love of neighbor into your nine to five job or eight to five or six to five or whatever hours you work. It brings your love love of neighbor, that commandment, loving God, yes, through your work, working hardly unto the Lord, but also this love of neighbor as yourself into your job, what you do, into the very task that you do. And for me, that, that means it goes beyond Sunday beyond counseling or preaching or teaching at Bible 45. That means I'm loving my neighbor. I'm loving you through administration, through QuickBooks, through background checks that I do, through school contracts, through ordering office supplies. That can seem like, why I have to bother with these things? These details matter. This is love of neighbor. And we all benefit. It's the same with you and your job. See, the quality of the labor matters not only to God, but the quality of what you do matters to your neighbor, those who are on the receiving end, those customers, those who receive your care, your help, your product, whatever it may be. They benefit from such veiled love. If we truly believe this and see this in our work, I believe we can experience a God-honoring fulfillment in our work. So hear this. As Luther points out, all work Almost all work, I would say. We'll get into some work that is not. <laughs> the product of sin, okay? But all work is objectively valuable to others. But it will not be subjectively fulfilling unless you consciously see and understand your work as a calling to love your neighbor. May God give us eyes to see. I just thought we would close with doing a little sing right now. We have a few more minutes. I just want to ask, before I conclude here, a few more thoughts. Just how are you aware that you can or do love your neighbor through your job? I just love to hear quickly what you do. And let's help each other make a couple quick connections. Anyone want to just lead off in what you do? How are you loving your neighbor? What, what do you see right now? Miguel, let's start with you. I'm looking at you. Firefighter. Come on, man. Let's start with it. This is low-hanging fruit right here, this one, okay? All right. Um, Well, uh, you guys know what I do, and uh, I live there with them, with my my co-workers, a third of my life, pretty much. And uh, my boss is currently a Christian. Praise God for that. Uh, But she's not walking like she should, so... I listen to her a lot, and then I tell her what, you know, or I share with her, not, I don't put her down anyway, what, you know, God would have of her to do, I think. Uh, and then my other worker, co-workers, um, 
they're not Christians, you know, but I love them and I, I care for them and I help them with, you know, whatever comes up. Uh, sometimes it's construction things and so forth, you know. Uh, but and I ask them about their family and I, I always pray for them. And whenever there's a need, they always text me and say, "Hey, Miguel, pray for this, for that." Well, that's good, and I think that's where we usually go to our coworkers, and that is good and right. But let's take it a step further. How about the people you're serving on the call? You get a call. How are you loving these neighbors? That's what we're really talking about as well. You're right. We want to be a witness, don't we? We want to be a light where we work. That's absolutely what God's called us to do, right? But let's take it even farther. How about the people you don't know who are on the receiving end? They're the ones calling in. How are you loving them as well? You may not know them personally, but you're yeah, serving no, them. No, of course. Uh, I, I just try to treat them like if they were my family. You know, my, my father, my mother, brother, sister, you know. Uh, and, and yeah, I always, whatever, every call that I get, I pray for them, you know, on the way. You know, uh, last night we had a, a dive call. There was a person in the water. And uh, my, my boss is a diver, so she was in the back with me. Normally she's in the front. And uh, she was like, go, are you praying? And I said, I-, I got you. And she was very excited because it was a real call that many people were, were calling. Uh, so I just, you know, I prayed to myself, but, and I was calming her so she could do her job. You know, and then I was going to be on shore, you know, doing all these things. But anyway, uh, yeah, so, and we had a shooting also yesterday. So, you know, you just, I try to feel what, what you know, what, what, the person that called is feeling a lot of times, and mm. you know, great. And how about just what you're doing? I mean, you're loving your neighbor, Miguel, by literally helping save lives. Mm. Yeah. I mean, sometimes we actually do that. You do, <laughs> yeah. Yes, bride comforts, sometimes actually, yeah. whether it be a lot, a lot of times it's just a little counseling, or you know, old ladies want want Maybe someone to talk yeah. to. You're bringing right uh, sanity and counsel and a calmness to the situation. They're panicking. Maybe there is a life-threatening situation. You're, you're caring. You're loving your neighbor to the service you provide, your expertise, right? Absolutely. You're loving your neighbor to the work that you do. To the work that you do. Anyone else? One, one more. I'll give it a shot. Sure. The, uh, I'm, uh, I play in uh, commercial support to military operations in uh, Latin America and the Caribbean. And uh, a couple of things. Obviously, what I plan helps soldiers and sailors, Marines and airmen on the ground receive quality support so that both in their mission and, and wherever they happen to be living in Latin America and the Caribbean, they're, they're getting cared for. Their material needs are being cared for. And, and secondly, we try to do it in a way that's efficient. And that, that serves you guys, obviously, because we don't want to be wasteful with taxpayer dollars. So we, uh, we try very hard to find the most efficient solution to whatever we're trying to do so that we keep costs and operations down. And that obviously serves all of us by keeping our taxes down. You can thank me later. <laughs> thank you, Rafa. Thank you. Oh, that's great. Well, I think that's a great assignment for you guys to think through. And once again, we so often beeline to, well, I'm serving God if I'm sharing my faith. And once again, and I'm minimizing that. We want to be active as Christians, both in our actions and our words, okay? But sometimes that's where we stop. And what I'm trying to say is let's not stop there because that can be discouraging. Sometimes maybe you have no opportunity to share your faith because of the environment, at least verbally, and you feel like, well, I'm just wasting my time, really. How, how has God served? But your actual work has value to God, and, and it's worth teasing that out. It's worth actually writing it down. How am I serving the people on the other end of what I do, the product, et cetera, the service that I'm providing? How are they served? 
Whether or not you mention the name of Christ, God is using you to meet a real need. And I want you to see that and take value and take encouragement in that as well. I think our jobs take on a different meaning and fulfillment as talked about. So give us some thought this week. Even write it down. And if you need help, ask others as well, you know, to, to be able to help see what you do is serving and loving God and your neighbor, how you're imaging God in caring and indeed providing. Well, in conclusion, I don't want to leave the gospel out here. And this isn't just a tack on, guys. This is, this, is, this is the grid by which we need to process all that we talked about. In our discussion about good works, we would do well to remember the gospel of grace. The amazing gospel frees us from the relentless pressure of having to prove ourselves. It's so often to try to find our identity and our worth through our work. The reality is, our worth and our identity is found in Christ and it's secure. We don't have to look to our work to prove anything, let alone to earn God's favor. The gospel frees us from a condescending attitude towards less sophisticated work, manual work, blue-collar work, or from any envy over more exalted work. All work now becomes a way to love God and to love neighbor, to love the God who freed us and has forgiven us in a way to love our neighbor as well. So here's the irony in all this. The gospel frees us from works so that we can truly work. You see that? Say this from works an effort to earn our salvation, our identity, our security. And that frees us to do good works in our jobs at our expression of love for the one who's redeemed us and placed us there as a form of worship unto him and as a way to love our neighbor as ourselves. Isn't that cool? So anyway, some thoughts for you this week. Let's close in prayer. Well, Lord, I pray that you just drill these points home to us. Lord, this is not often how we think. Sometimes it's just hard to see what we're doing, the day-in, day-out tasks. How in any way is it of value to you? How is it serving you, let alone that person we don't really know or hear from? So Lord, encourage us that our work matters to you, that you value it. In fact, you created us to do good works, and you redeemed us to do just that as Christians. So Lord, help us to see the creative aspects of our work Help us to see the redemptive aspects of our work. Help us to see the caring part of our work in which we provide the your hand of providence for those you created in our calling to yourself. Amen.